literally even just like even if it is recyclable if you haven't explained to the end user what to do with it like clean it or put it here or send it back there or whatever the application is the steps they need to take to make it recycled if you haven't made that clear then what are the chances of it actually making it all the way through all the layers to get recycled probably very limited This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. You can join our online community right now, where we're going further, faster together at community.evolvecpg.com. Join us. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. Today, we're going to talk about the complexities of the recycling system and why the word recyclable doesn't always mean something is actually recyclable. I know that sounds confusing and complex. Believe me, it is. But hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll have a much better understanding of the recycling system and what is actually recyclable. Before we dive in, quick shout out to Adobe, who has an amazing creative jam coming up called Virtual Product Photography, where you can use their 3D tools like Substance 3D to make a virtual image of your product in some sort of environment that you could use on social media or whatever else. Really cool event with fun prizes for participation. So check that out in the show notes or pay attention. And later in this episode, we'll give you some more details. All right, so a little background. Why are we picking on this recycling thing? Why is it complex, right? I think for a lot of people, it seems cut and dry. If something says it's recyclable, then it probably is. And part of that problem is the three chasing arrows symbol that's been put on a lot of plastic items around the world for many decades. And and the problem there is that those... (laughs) Even though that is the recycling symbol, those three chasing arrows don't necessarily mean something is recyclable. Those were put on plastic as a way to identify what material it was, but not all plastic materials are recyclable. And when you're buying a product, whether it's a physical product like consumer good or something like that, like electronics or a food product or something, just seeing that those three symbols doesn't actually mean that thing is recyclable. <laughs> it's it's very confusing, I know. But we're going to dive in and explain it a little bit more. To really understand what is and isn't recyclable, you have to think about it through four layers. There's the object itself, whether it is technically made to be recycled. There is the consumer aspect, like the end user, whether or not they're going to help you get it to the right place so that it actually gets recycled. There's the recovery system, which is the people and places, etc., that take stuff from the consumer and turn it into something that can then be recycled. And then there's the marketplace itself, whether or not there's demand for those materials and whether or not the materials can be delivered in such a way that that makes sense. So four layers that if in my opinion, if you don't address each of those four layers, then you shouldn't really call it recyclable. 
because it's only recyclable in theory and not in practice at that point. So to break that down a little bit further, so we're all on the same page here, I'm going to address each of those layers with some of the things that have to be considered on those layers. So if you're a designer designing products to be recyclable, if you're a consumer wanting to play your part in the recyclability or somewhere in between like a marketer just knowing whether or not you should call something recyclable, this episode is for you. All right, let's dive in. So the first layer of recyclability is the object itself. This is the most obvious, the most visible part of the recycling system. It's the part that you can hold in your hand and try to determine whether or not that thing is recyclable. The problem is there's other layers that come into play. But if the whole system is working perfectly, you know, this objects can be designed to be recyclable. It's just how hard or easy is that thing to be recycled? If we're going to break this down a little bit, you know, we got to talk about things like the materials it's made of, whether it's multiple materials, layered materials, the shape, size, the coloring, all those kind of things. So let's talk about each. The material itself. Let's just assume for simplicity's sake that we're talking about one single material that an object is made of. Not all materials are equally recyclable. Glass, for example, in theory is infinitely recyclable, which means that it could be recycled one time, two times, a hundred times, and still more or less have the same properties. And, you know, maybe some mass is reduced somewhere in there. I'm not like an expert on that part, but in theory, each time you recycle glass, the, the material itself doesn't degrade. And then there are other types of materials that do degrade over time. The more you recycle them, the less the less they have those same properties, the, therefore the less valuable or useful they are. So there's that kind of material recyclability consideration that some things recycle better than others, but then there's also some things just literally aren't recyclable. So for example, when you see a number seven plastic with those three chasing arrows, that's a group of plastic identification that was just made as like a catch-all kind of everything else. So if it doesn't fit into one of the other one through six categories, it might it'll get labeled as a seven, and that could mean it's bio made out of renewable materials like plant-based or something like that, or it could mean that it's just some other kind of new plastic or whatever. Bottom line, that's not recyclable because you can't you can't tell what it is anymore, and therefore it's gonna just go into the landfill. So lots of complexity there, but bottom line, the first thing you have to consider is like what is this made of? Is that material itself recyclable and how recyclable is it then this is something that most people don't consider or think about the coloring of that material you know by default plastic for example should be clear clear plastic when recycled makes more clear plastic which means you can use it for lots of different things because most cases plastic is meant to be clear but as soon as you make that plastic green or blue or white, you know, white's more usable than others, but or black or something like that. Colored plastic is less used and therefore less valuable. So if you buy something that is black colored plastic because it looks super cool, just know that when that does get quote unquote recycled, if it does, that it'll be kind of downcycled because it has to be recycled with other colored materials and they all get mixed together and then 
you just get this gray or whatever soupy plastic stuff that then has a very, very, very limited use case after that. So one example might be, those of you familiar with Method, the cleaning company, they had a ocean plastic teardrop shaped soap bottle for a little while. The reason those were gray is because they were made of a mixture of recycled plastic. That's what happens when you recycle lots of colors together. So coloring does matter and it does remove value. So like ideally you don't color your color your material. And then there's multiple materials often in a package, right? Whether that's like you've got a plastic bottle with one type of material and the lid is a different type of material and then the label wrapped around it is another type of material. Lots of other examples, but you get the idea. There are objects or packages or whatever made with multiple materials. And that's fine assuming those are easy to disassemble and and likely to be disassembled because you're essentially putting the disassemblability on the consumer because you're going to sell it with a label and with a cap. And then the consumer has to know to remove the cap or take off the label or whatever else. Or the material recovery system has to be able to do that or the recycler has to be able to do that. But bottom line, you can't recycle multiple materials together at the same time, obviously, because then that that's not pure anymore. And so there's no value. It kind of either doesn't work at all or it just devalues the, the recycling. So anything with multiple materials is going to be somewhat more complicated. Even more complicated, <laughs> if you want to dig that deep, is layered or fused materials. So a lot of packaging isn't made of one single material. It's made of, let's say, a plastic and a metal lining for moisture barrier or something like that, or two different types of plastics merged together. In that particular case, disassembly is virtually impossible. Sometimes it's possible. Let's just say like a a piece of metal fused through a foil stamp or something like that onto a piece of paper. Technically, when you soak that paper in water, the foil will remove itself and you can kind of maybe use magnets or something like that to like capture the metal. It's difficult, but possible. But if you kind of merge two layers of plastic together, like it's very unlikely <laughs> that you're going to get those two layers separate again. Therefore, you took two things that might have been recyclable on their own, mushed them together, and made a piece of landfill trash or incinerator kind of fuel or something like that because you're not going to get them back apart again. And then <laughs> to make it even more complicated... Even if the material or materials themselves are recyclable, the shape, size, rigidity, etc. matters too. For example, you could take a, the same number of plastic and make it a rigid container, which does use more plastic, which is a consideration. If it's a non-renewable material, you're using more of that material, less sustainable. But if you change, reduce that use of material, which is great for sustainability, but if you make it this flexible thing that ends up sitting flat instead of having like some sort of rigid form, all of a sudden it can't make it through the material recovery processes anymore, which we'll discuss a little bit later. So it literally the material itself can be recyclable, but the form it is made in is not feasible to get through the recycling system and therefore it's technically not recyclable. And this is where some greenwashing comes in because Sometimes those materials are labeled as recyclable because technically the labels are, or the materials are, but in the system, it's just not going to happen. Therefore, 
I would argue it should not be labeled recyclable. So that's that's the object. That's just layer one. We're already pretty in complex territory. So let's dive into layer two, the consumer. So assuming the designers of said product made all the right choices <laughs> and made an awesome product that is recyclable, we still have to work with the consumer who's going to use the product and has full control over what happens with that product after they're done with it. So will the consumer toss that in the right bin, for example, is a big question we have to ask ourselves. So as a consumer or someone thinking about consumers, we've got to really consider how they're involved in here. Like, where are they using it? How are they using it? How clear are we making it for them? How easy is it for them to do the right thing with it? First of all, where is it being used? This is something that probably very, very few people ever think about, right? But let's say you're, you've designed a product that is meant to be used while hiking or on the beach or on vacation or something like that. It's like transportable, but also somewhat disposable, right? If that consumer disposes of it while they're on said vacation or at the beach or hiking, there's likely not a bunch of recycling and composting and trash bins, like they might just toss it in the forest or they might just throw it on the beach or something like that. Or let's just say in a better case scenario, there are bins, but there's only trash. So even if you made that thing to be recyclable, but the place that your consumer is using that thing, there are no bins to to put it in. Are they really going to like store all their trash in their backpack and take it back home where they can recycle it? Or are they just going to toss it in the the trash? Most cases, they're probably going to toss it in the trash. Then, beyond just the actual recyclability or where they're using it, sometimes just the look of a package, whether or not it is obviously recyclable, can have an impact too. Just like with composting, if you don't have some very clear green stripe across it or very obvious words, compost me or whatever, on the package, most people are probably not going to realize it's compostable, or even if they do, and, and let's say they put it in the compost bin and it gets to the compost facility, if those people don't see it as obviously compostable, they might pull it out. So making something look recyclable can be important as well. If whatever you've done to your the design of your package kind of emphasizes recyclability, whether that's some sort of design choice, like by having big recycling signs or make it the label like blue or, you know, some sort of thing that signifies recyclability. If you don't like take care of some of that, then the consumer might not do the extra work to like look at the small details on the package. And they might just assume, ah, this looks like something that's not recyclable, like styrofoam or, or this or that, or like uh, milk containers or something that's not like a metal or a plastic or whatever. And they're like, I don't know. And ideally, if they don't know, they throw it in the trash because if they put it in recycling, it could contaminate. So that's something to just keep in mind. Does it look recyclable or not? But throw that out and let's just talk about like your labeling of the materials. So again, the most commonly labeled material with recycling symbols on it are plastics because that's just how they mark the number of plastic. It doesn't mean it's recyclable. It just means this is this type of plastic. And even that type of plastic could be a catch-all like I described before. So how obvious are you, are you as the product designer or you as a consumer? How obvious is it that that thing is labeled correctly? Is 
almost all packages have like a lid and a box and a, a label and a, you know, a sticker or something like that. So are individual pieces of that package labeled so that you know what each of them are slash what to do with each of them? Is that recycling information buried somewhere on the back in like two point type or something like that? Have you made it vague and just put the recycling symbols on it, but didn't say what kind of material or that there's different materials or anything? I'm guessing 80% of the products on the market today are very vague about the recyclability of that package. So that's a huge concern. Like if you want to move the needle, even just making it clear whether or not it's recyclable can make a big difference. You might want to check out the Sustainable Packaging Coalition's howtorecycle.org kind of system. They have a labeling system that allows you to label you know, the base material, the cap, and other kind of pieces so that it's clear what each of them, whether or not each of them is recyclable, and then what to do with it. It does cost money, but ch- but check that out if you're interested in being more clear or just, you know, find ways to be more clear yourself. And then even if you let people know it's recyclable, let's just talk about peanut butter as an example. Even if you tell me this peanut butter jar is recyclable and then I just, you know, use up my peanut butter and toss it in the bin, that dirty peanut butter jar with a bunch of peanut butter and oil still stuck in it might make it somehow through the recovery system but will contaminate the material stream because it's got all that peanut butter and stuff in it. And your recovery facility employees aren't sitting there at sinks washing out all your peanut butter jars. So if they catch a dirty peanut butter jar kind of moving through their systems, they will pull it off and throw it in the trash. So literally even just like, even if it is recyclable, if you haven't explained to the end user what to do with it, like clean it, or put it here, or send it back there, or whatever the application is, the steps they need to take to make it recycled. If you haven't made that clear, then what are the chances of it actually making it all the way through all the layers to get recycled? Probably very limited. Another thing is accessibility. Not all consumers live in a major city where there are recycling containers on every street, or that they're building, apartment building, or office, or whatever has recycling containers. So you could have the best intentions in the world and make something super easy to recycle, but then the person who buys it doesn't have anywhere to put it, kind of like what we were talking about earlier of where it's being used. But that also goes to like city by city or state by state or whatever. If there's no option in that state, then how are they going to recycle it? Are they really going to like drive it across state borders or city borders to recycle something? Are they going to collect 20 of them and mail it in. I don't know. Like the more layers you put in of effort to making somebody have to jump through all these hoops in order to recycle something, the less likely it is that it'll be recycled. I believe there's a rule of like 60% or something like that of accessibility in the United States. Like if, if 60% of consumers can't recycle it, then it's not technically recyclable. There's some sort of percentage. I can't remember it right now, but that is a big consideration. There are programs out there that are popping up like TerraCycle things or whatever that allow people to just like dump a bunch of stuff in one box and then ship it in somewhere because they'll deal with it from there that are kind of providing some hope for the world. But even that, somebody has to be aware of that and order the box and so on and so forth. So just keep in mind that there are 
hurdles to for a consumer to recycle something. Okay, let's take a quick break to talk about that Adobe event. So you know how we all need beautiful images to get people excited about trying and buying our products? From our website to social media and more, it seems like we never have enough images. But another photo shoot isn't always feasible, and those 2D mockups don't always look quite right photoshopped into stock photo backgrounds. Luckily, with Adobe 3D tools, you can skip the studio and make photorealistic 3D scenes, CPG product shots, portfolio mockups, and more. Sounds pretty cool, right? Well, now is the time to give it a try, because on August 17th, Adobe is hosting a free Creative Jam event where you can try out their Substance 3D software to create a virtual photography scene and then enter it to win prizes. Learn more and register at cjam.in slash virtual photo. And now let's get back to the episode. All right, layer three, the recovery system. Will it be able to be processed is a big question that I think 99% of the people out there probably have no idea what happens after they put it in the bin, right? You assume I did my part. If this is recyclable, I put it in the bin. It's going to be recycled. Bottom line, this bottle, plastic bottle is going to become a park bench or something. And they think that's it. That's done. In reality, <laughs> it's almost just the beginning, right? There's a lot of implications that could make that either easily recycled or not recyclable at all. So one of the problems with our system is that I would call it broken. Some might call it disjointed. Some might call it variable, whatever. But the problem is city by city, there are different rules for recyclability or what they will and won't take. So some cities maybe will only take a couple of things. Some cities make you separate everything. Some say they will take number five plastic. Some say they won't. Some say they'll take you know, milk containers. Some say they won't. It's just kind of across the board different, partly because each city has different policies and priorities partly because the companies that they work with to do the recycling have different types of equipment that can accept different things. And partly, like we'll discuss later, there's a market for some things and there's not a market for other things. But just know that just because you traveled to San Francisco and saw that every type of plastic was acceptable there, that doesn't mean if you go to Kansas, everything's going to be accepted there. So that's one problem. Another problem is... Even if they do accept it, like say like in Washington where I live, they have a kind of commingled policy and I've lived in Seattle and now I'm in Olympia and, and they have different policies. But let's just say in general, the state kind of commingles stuff. So like you dump a lot of recyclables into one bin and then the recovery facilities have to separate that stuff. It would be impossible to do that by hand. So automation is kind of required for this to be feasible at all. However, as clever as automation is, which there are some really clever things, like, for example, magnets that will pull certain metals out of the material stream or little bursts of air that as soon as it identifies like a a certain number of plastic, it'll send a puff of air that'll shoot that over some other kind of system to like capture it in some other funnel or whatever. Lots of really interesting, like innovative ways that people have automated the recovery system. However, it has its limits. For example, kind of climbing up into the equipment, there's these kind of channels that are like reverse waterfalls. It pulls like materials up, up into the system, up into the conveyor belts. In those systems, things like 
plastic bags get caught in the machinery and they have to shut down the machinery multiple times a day to clean out all the plastic bags, which costs time and money and so on and so forth. And that's why a lot of states are starting to outlaw plastic bags, not because they're not technically recyclable material, because a lot of them are. It's because it can't get through the system to be recycled. So most places that accept plastic bags, for example, you have to bundle the plastic bags up in such a way and drop them off to certain places so that it can be kind of get special special um, privileges to get through the recycling facility by having more form and by not getting cut in the machinery, etc. Other limitations might be the form, like I talked about earlier on with the design of the packaging or the object itself. If a plastic, for example, even if it's uh, the right number of plastic, let's just say number two, that is widely recycled, rigid number two container can make it through certain systems just fine. But a flat kind of flexible material acts too much like paper and can no longer be like pulled out easily through puffs of air or any other kind of things like that. And it just acts like paper, goes through the whole system and ends up in the kind of paper batches of paper in the material stream, which of course contaminates now that paper material stream and puts the plastic in the wrong place. It's not supposed to be there, which is why most flexible packaging isn't actually recyclable, quote unquote. It has to be store drop off, just kind of like plastic bags, single use plastic bags, same kind of thing. The material itself might be recyclable. It just doesn't work in the system. So you have to find a different path for it. And then even if, you know, you're doing most things right, you know, the occasional consumer, let's just not say occasional, but probably most pretty frequent consumers aren't cleaning out the containers or they forgot to disassemble the containers like we talked about before. And maybe there's a paper part of it and a plastic part of it and another plastic part of it. If the disassembly hasn't been done just right and the handful of employees that are there watching the automation to like see if they can catch anything or or pull plastic bags out of the machinery or whatever, they can on occasion pull stuff out and put it in the right place. But things are moving so fast, like tons of trash is moving through this thing at, at one point, right? So they can only see so much and then they can only do so much. In all likelihood, they see a peanut butter jar running through that system that's dirty they're not like going to grab it and like put it in a line of stuff to wash later. They're going to just toss that in the landfill pile. Same with anything that has multiple materials that hasn't been disassembled. Even if those individual materials can be recycled, if something comes through that has a paper box with a plastic bag inside and they can tell it does, they're going to pull it out and throw it in the trash. They don't have time to sit there and disassemble everything for you, right? So humans can only catch so much in these automated systems, which means contamination happens. So as a recovery facility, the whole point of the facility is to separate stuff so that it can be recycled like with like. Number two, plastic, all grouped together. Number five, all grouped together. Paper, all grouped together. And because automation has limits and humans can only catch so much, contamination is going to happen, which means your end product as a recovery facility is less valuable because someone else has to still do something else with it to get stuff out of there that doesn't fit what they need. So there's just weaknesses in that regard. It's not like after it goes through this recovery facility, all number twos are with number twos and all glasses with glass. There's going to be bits and pieces of stuff still mixed in to all these different feedstocks or you know piles of materials. 
<laughs> to add another complexity layer, as a business owner of a recovery facility, there's the market, which we'll talk about more in a little bit. But just think from a business owner standpoint, you might have this material that today you get money if you collect it and give it to someone, they'll pay you for it because it adds value. But then something happens in the market. And then all of a sudden tomorrow, that same material that I used to get money for now has no value. And in fact, now I have the responsibility of doing something with it and it costs money. You're going to do the thing that costs you the least money, which is often dumping it in a landfill, right? So even if it gets through all these three layers and gets put in the right spot, piled with the right stuff, if the volatility changes overnight or over month or whatever, all of a sudden that stuff is no longer good to me and it's actually a liability now and I've got to get it off my hands as cheaply as I can. So it could still end up in the landfill. So as you can see, it's really complex. Now the last layer we're going to talk about is the market itself. Is there enough demand for this material to justify getting it all the way through the first three steps and then turning it into something that can be reused? So in this section, we've got lots of stuff. The cost to, re- to recycle it, the demand, processing out the, those contaminants we talked about, laws about using recycled materials, performance, etc. cetera. Um, lots of layers here, so let's dive in. Cost to recycle versus value of the material is a big consideration. Some materials are just so cheap to produce or so expensive to recycle that it makes no sense to recycle it because it's just much more feasible to just use virgin material over and over again. Sometimes that's just a, you know, the right technology hasn't been created to make recycling more feasible. Um, Sometimes it's just inherent with that kind of material and how much heat or whatever it takes to recycle it. Lots of things that you can unpack there, but just know that even if it makes it through these first three layers, there might be like a cost to value imbalance and therefore it's better to just go in the landfill or or incinerate for energy. So the demand for recycled products is largely driven by the consumers. Are they interested in, are they prioritizing recycled products over virgin products? There is growing demand there. There are more consumers asking for recyclable or recycled products. So that's a positive, but It's not always the case for every single material and there are other complexities, but whether or not consumers are interested in buying something recycled influences whether or not companies are willing to invest the time and money into making something recycled and so on and so forth. So there has to be demand for that type of thing from the consumer. So if you take nothing from this at all, other than your power as a consumer, Go out and buy as many recycled products as you can because that influences whether or not there's a market for them. And then we talked about this before, the the contaminants. By the time it gets to the person who's going to actually turn these plastic bottles back into plastic pellets that can be used by someone else to make other plastic things, they get this feedstock of materials that are 90% you know, pure or 60% or whatever, but there's always something that they've still got to get out of the system, whether it's the cap that's still attached, the label that's still attached, the foil stamp on a piece of paper that needs to be removed, you know, whatever, but they've got to do some sort of process 
to get it as pure as possible back to the the single material that they can recycle. And that, that could be the color of the plastic again. Maybe a, some black plastic containers made it in with a clear plastic containers, right? So they've got to figure out how to clean all that up in the final stage. Sometimes that means burning things or boiling things or whatever else that is either toxic to the people working in those facilities or toxic to the environment where they dump the water or whatever after they boil stuff. Like there's a lot of pollution that can come from that, which is a large part of why China a little while back stopped accepting all of US's recycling, partly because we were sending them such contaminated stuff that was more work for them than it was worth. Part of it was because now they're the bad guy. They're the ones polluting the oceans and poisoning their people who are working in these recycling facilities. I did hear a stat from some podcaster, something at one point that said, do you really think all that plastic in the ocean came there from individual people tossing a thing in a river or ocean or whatever? In large part, most of that was probably due to company or countries like China just dumping a bunch of shit <laughs> that they didn't want to spend the time recycling somewhere and it ended up in the ocean, right? So so that was a big problem, right? We were sending them a bunch of garbage and they were supposed to make valuable stuff out of it. And it made sense at one point while the, while the workers were cheap and they didn't know much about how much uh, contamination or, or pollutants or whatever were in there. But eventually they decided it's not worth it anymore. Shut down kind of the whole recycling system across the world and people had to find different places to get things recycled, different countries that were willing to take that on. Or some material streams just stopped completely and there was no good place to send any of this stuff anymore. So every time you throw something as a consumer in the wrong recycling bin, technically you're part of the problem, right? You're, you're part of what's contaminating that recycling stream. So as recycling people say, if you don't know whether or not it's recyclable, just assume it's not and throw it in the trash. Even though that feels horrible because maybe that thing was recyclable, it's technically better, according to the experts, to just put it in the trash than to contaminate the recycling system. Then, even if it makes it through all of these steps that we've talked about, there are sometimes laws against using recycled materials in certain industries, like for food safety, for example. In, in some countries, there's certain parameters around what kind of recycled material or how much recycled material or anything else um, that you can use in something like a food packaging because uh, chemical contaminants that could have come from various places throughout that recycling system could be leached into your food and therefore they limit the amount or the use of certain recycled materials. So there's complexities there that have to be worked around or laws that need to be rewritten or processes of recycling that need to be changed so that there are no contaminants like extra chemicals or whatever. And then finally, even if it's a usable material and it's, you know, legal to use it and so on, and there's value in it, companies who use recycled materials have to do a lot of research and development in reformulating their packaging materials or restructuring their packaging manufacturing or their product manufacturing systems because some of those recycled materials function or perform differently than the virgin materials, which means they have to change the way they make the product 
in order to adjust it for the recycled uh, materials that are being woven into it, whether it's 10% recycled or 100% recycled. That's a kind of huge different from a performance standpoint, especially if it's like plastic, which degrades each time you recycle it, whereas something like glass kind of maintains its same properties over and over. But it's all dependent on the material. And just know that it's not like a one-for-one replace virgin plastic with recycled plastic or something like that. Sometimes you have to like redesign the entire system, which could be millions of dollars of equipment and maybe even more millions of dollars of research and development to figure out how to make it work. Bottom line, (laughs) this is a very complex, very, I would say, broken um, system that most people, I think, believe is a little bit more cut and dry. Something is recyclable, you put it in the right place, it gets recycled, and therefore, good job, we're doing our part as humans and and trying to conserve resources. In reality, it's a very complex, complicated system. So unless all four layers, object, consumer, recovery, and market, have been addressed with that particular product, I would argue that recyclable isn't actually recyclable. Just because you see recyclable on a container or a product, it doesn't mean it's actually recyclable in practice, right? It means it's recyclable in theory if the world was a perfect place. But the world isn't a perfect place. The system is a bit broken. And therefore, you can't always trust the word recyclable. I hate to say that as a sustainable geek, as somebody who wants this to work, as a sustainable designer, as somebody who does packaging, design work, etc. I would love it to be cut and dry. I make a decision, I use recyclable materials, and therefore this thing is recycled in the end. But unfortunately, that's not the case. So very complex system to maybe make you feel a little bit better about it. Just know that I have talked to one person on this Evolve CPG show, Ian Walker of Left Coast Naturals, who did a life cycle analysis of some of his products and found that packaging was only about 3% of his total footprint. So it sucks that the system is broken, but just know that it's more important what's what the product is, what's in the package than the package itself. And I'm not making that as an excuse to throw plastic bottles in the ocean. I'm just saying if you have the power of a consumer, choose things that are grown better, that are manufactured better, that use fewer resources, et cetera. And ideally, yes, that the packaging itself is recyclable or compostable or something. But if not, just know that you, you know, you did the majority of work by buying like fair trade, organic, regenerative, whatever. So with that said, we'll wrap up this episode here. Big thank you for any of you who listened throughout this entirely complex and confusing episode. I get that it's not straightforward. But the more we know, the better we can kind of be positive players in this system rather than negative ones. So thank you for listening. Give me a shout out or, or send a note to evolve at modernspecies.com if you have anything that you think I should add to this or anything you think I got wrong, whatever. Happy to just take the feedback. Appreciate you listening. And we'll talk to you more later. If this kind of stuff excites you, come and join our community at community.evolvecpg.com where we're trying to go further, faster together to make better products, better brands, and better leaders so that we can have a better world. All right. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review and share it with your colleagues. 
As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback, so send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com. 